For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I memorized that verse years and years ago, memorized it in the King James Version, as I just shared it with you, because that's the version we memorized at my Christian school. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And of course, that's John 3.16, a verse that has gotten so much publicity over the years that for a while, as Kurt suggested in the children's story, all people had to do was hold up a poster at a football game in the end zone in view of the television cameras with that scripture reference on it, and people would know what it meant, a shortcut way of preaching salvation. But the context is broader than just that one verse. It doesn't stand alone. Rather, as you have been reminded today, it is a verse that is embedded in the particular scripture story of Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a teacher, a rabbi in his own right, coming to Jesus at night to have a rabbi-to-rabbi conversation a conversation intended to take place out of view of the masses, but more importantly to Nicodemus, out of view of his religious contemporaries. For those who interpret this story, Nicodemus has often been characterized as somewhat confused, maybe as much as anything because after Jesus speaks of being born from above or born again, Nicodemus asks Jesus, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? We hear those words, and the literalists among us think that Nicodemus is asking a literal question in response to Jesus talking in image and metaphor. And if he is being literal when it is perfectly obvious that Jesus is not, well then, what a dope. But if Nicodemus is confused, it's not because he's dumb and he's not naive. Some of what Jesus says may be confusing to Nicodemus, just as it is to us, but not because he takes everything that Jesus says literally. If it is confusing, it's because the whole conversation is loaded with mystery and ambiguity, and that might be on Jesus but it could just as well be happening because of the way that the gospel writer John presents Jesus. Because the gospel of John is full of mystery and ambiguity and double meaning and example after example of image over and above information. So born from above, born again, born of the flesh, born of water, born of the spirit, that stuff is tricky to understand, as is the matter of whether we are talking about eternal life in the otherworldly sense or life in the kingdom of God in the here and now as well as the future sense. As is the matter of whether the work of the spirit is something moving in and through us or working more often around us and despite us. It's all tricky. It's all mysterious. But then we get the poster in the end zone verse, verse 16, and another mystery slides into view. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or as Bob translated it for us this morning, for God loved the world so much that he gave up the beloved Son so that all might have faith. All who have faith might not be lost but might experience overflowing life in him. Mysterious? Some might say, Seems pretty straightforward to me. God gives over his son. Son is sacrificed for sins. Those who accept the sacrifice are saved. Simple enough. And that's the way many have lined the salvation song across the ages. But it is more mysterious than that. I promise you, it's more mysterious than that. First off, what some have translated as everlasting life in the King James or eternal life in the New Revised Standard Version, the New International Version, and others, could just as well be translated the life of the age, as David Bentley Hart translates it, or the life of God's new age, as N.T. Wright translates it, or overflowing life, as Bob chooses to translate it. In other words, it's probably not limited to an understanding of eternal life as something that is personally ours, some ongoing form of life that is acquired by us or granted to us, but rather it might mean something broader and more inclusive, such as understanding life that is God's abundant gift of life, not as acquired or claimed by individual human beings, but rather as life with God for all of us, the world, now and in the future, given to all of God's precious creation, us included, just because God wants to give it a love gift, if you will. If we take that view, then maybe we could understand the poster board verse as more than just a made-for-TV scripture reference. Maybe we could understand it this way. God, who deeply and unconditionally loves us, makes a continual, loving, self-sacrificing effort to overcome our pattern of stubbornly veering away from God. Our pattern of stubbornly veering away from God and headlong toward death and distance. And God makes this loving effort to overcome our away movement by offering a means, a pathway, for us to come home to our most precious life to return to a life lived in company with God and kinship with each other. God desires our return to intimate, restored relationship and Jesus' willingness to bear and endure humankind's stubbornly violent, I-know-better resistance is an expression of that desire. That is, over and over again, God intends to love us past that resistance 
And to do that by embodying in vulnerable human form the courageous and generous nature of that divine love. This courageous and generous love then becomes the means, the pathway of salvation. It is salvation. Eternal living in love. This love commitment and love practice of God is what makes the difference and what shows us the way. Overflowing life, then, is what happens when we get into the already flowing stream of God's eternal, abundant, and ever-living love. And why does God do this? Send the Son, accept and absorb human resistance and even human violence, seek to prevail over hurtfulness by enduring hurtfulness, because God so loved the world. Or as Bob translated it, God loved the world so much. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of Adam must be lifted up so that all who really trust can have overflowing life in him. For God loved the world so much that he gave up the beloved son so that all who have faith might not be lost but might experience overflowing life in him. God did not send the son into the world so that he could pass sentence on the world, but so the world might be rescued through him. In the midweek update video this past week, which we've turned toward scripture study during the season of Lent, Seth and Amy and I told stories about birth and salvation. After reading today's scripture in the video, I framed the storytelling invitation this way. Tell a brief story focusing on something that was eye-opening to you, a brief birth story. Then tell a brief salvation story focusing on something that was surprising or wondrous in your life experience. I chose those two things, those two word topics, birth and salvation, because those are key ideas from the scripture today. And because they are both words of mystery. And while we often seek to solve mysteries, telling stories can sometimes be a way to simply celebrate mysteries. Born from above, born a second time, born of the flesh, born of water, born of the spirit, I can't help but hear all those expressions and think of the most familiar expression, born again. The story I told in the midweek update was the story of my oldest son's birth. We thought it would all go as planned until it didn't, and then a cascade of difficulties and even dangers led us to an emergency C-section. Almost immediately after Rainer was born, I held him in the quiet waiting area while the surgeons worked on Lois to repair the damage, the trauma done by his birth. And for a long time, maybe it was only 30 minutes, but it could have been an hour, I held him although later on he would return to newborn sleepy mode, for that first hour he was wide-eyed, wide awake. He looked at me, stared at me, while I looked into his eyes 
Never have I looked so long before or since into someone else's eyes. I said in the midweek update, and it didn't occur to me until I said it out loud this past week as we were making the recording, that in that hour I was reborn. Born again. Reborn as a person who is now something, someone he hadn't been before? Reborn as a a parent? Yes, that's part of what I meant, but it was more than that. I feel like I was reborn into someone who finally understood or at least caught a glimpse of complete and unconditional love. I'd never had a dog before. So it took that moment for me to understand. Complete and unconditional love. Able to love and determined to love in a way I don't think I had ever quite understood or known before. Reborn into new calling, new purpose, new relationship, gratitude. Born again. There was nothing mechanical or formulaic about that, right? As if being born again is as simple as God does something, Jesus does something, I do something, and it's all good. Rather, it was more like this. Nothing planned or grasped or determined, all grace, all gift, born again. I think that's something close to what Jesus was talking about. That first hour of my son's life was amazing, but also shrouded in mystery. How did he hold my gaze so long? How could he be so completely new to me, and yet at the same time so deeply known by me? And how was it that his birth triggered my rebirth? How did that work? Born from above, born a second time, born of the flesh, born of water, born of the spirit, born again. In the middle of a mystery, I saw it. I glimpsed it. And then the matter of salvation, everlasting life, or kingdom of God here and now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I can't get the King James out of my head, the King James words and the poster board theology that so many associate with those words runs like a tape in my mind, in my memory. Is what, being, is, what is being talked about here atonement theology? Is that the sort of salvation we're meant to seek? Is it about eternal life secured by spoken assent? Tell a brief story of salvation focusing on what was surprising and wondrous was my prompt for us. And the story I told in the midweek update is one I've told before in a sermon or two, I know. In the story, I may be three or four. I don't know how to swim And we were at a pool party at a family reunion, and I'm arguing with my sister, who's two and a half years older than I am, near the deep end of the pool. She's in the water, and I'm standing at the edge, and apparently I'm telling her I'm going to jump in. And she's telling me not to, but I am determined. My swim trunks will hold me up, I argue. I win the argument about jumping in, not only because she cannot stop me from where she is, 
there at the edge of the pool, but because I am determined, I win the argument, but then I don't because I can't swim, and my swim trunks don't hold me up, and she tries to hold me up as she treads water in the deep end of the pool and calls for help. Several people jump into the pool to try to save me. A couple of them collide, and one is slightly injured. My father, who is farthest away, gets there first. He lifts me out of the water, and I am okay. Again, as I told the story in the midweek update, something occurred to me in that moment of sharing that had not occurred to me before. And I've told the story plenty of times. And what occurred to me was this that even in the moment I was saved, I didn't know how much trouble I was in. I could not save myself, but I also did not know what trouble I was in, how much saving I needed. Ultimately, however, that didn't matter because my father knew, and he came and saved me. And again, as I said earlier about this matter of being born again, only this time pointed at the experience of salvation, nothing mechanical or formulaic about that experience, nothing planned or grasped or determined, all grace, all gift, saved. And more mystery, right? But a mystery of grace is good. A mystery of birth and rebirth is good. A mystery of being saved, even before we are aware of our need for salvation, is good. It is all good. And it's all good because what lies beneath the mystery is love. For God so loved the world, for God loved you and me, us and them, our neighbors and our opponents, so much that God placed God's precious Son right alongside us, ready and willing for whatever it takes to turn us toward home. For God so loved the world. For God loved the world so much. Amen.